The Holy Gospel for this day comes from Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 33. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I spent most of yesterday at Camp Casey on Whidbey Island with our 7th and 8th graders for their annual confirmation retreat. This year's topic was uh, the creed and mission statements, why we still include creeds in worship, what do they mean, why it matters that we talk about them, we talk about what we believe and try to understand it, and then how all of that, what we say we believe, actually translates into action. So we started by talking through the Apostles' Creed, which, as you might know, is one of the creeds we share most commonly in worship, although not, not today, not during the Advent season. We took it apart a little bit. We asked some commonly asked questions like, why does it say Jesus descended into hell? We decided that that was one way to illustrate how deeply God loves us, that Jesus is willing to go into the very worst, hardest things that humans can experience. So that when we feel like we are in hell, (laughs) that we know we're not there alone. We explained why we say that we believe in the one holy Catholic church when it says Lutheran on our building. That Catholic with a small c just means universal. So we are saying that while churches can be different, wildly different, we believe it is the same God who is at work in all of them. Now partly for fun and partly because uh, to illustrate how important it is to to understand what we believe and how saying what we believe translates into action, we turn the Apostles' Creed into a Mad Lib. Does everybody know what a Mad Lib is? Right? You take out certain key words from a story or a poem or song or something, and then you ask a group to fill fill them in, but they don't know what they're working on. They just know they need to give you a noun or a verb or an adjective or something like that. Which is how we ended up with a creed that finished up like this. I believe in plastic everlasting and the forgiveness of Bill Gates. So, good news for Bill. (laughs) Those really stick with them, I think. 
But after we had done all that, we talked about the content of the creed and what the things meant. I wanted to really help them understand why these matter in worship and in our lives. Why we still say these creeds. I mean, parts of the Apostles' Creed are close to 1,800 years old. Talk about why we're not just trying to enforce a list of things you have to think about God, like a weekly test, so you can in your head decide whether you agree with each thing or not. We're just trying, to the best of our limited human capacity, to describe the God in whom we place our trust. Has anyone here ever done a trust fall? All right. While planning this retreat from the safe distance of my office, a trust fall seemed like a great idea. Because another way to translate the word belief, we believe in, at least as the Bible frequently uses it, is to use the word trust. So when I was making notes for my session, it just said, explain creed as an act of trust, then do trust fall. Good, fine. Except that there are no leadership books or seminars that tell you that good leadership is telling other people what to do but never doing it yourself. So, for the sake of solidarity and to show the middle schoolers that I was willing to do what I asked them to do, I offered to do the trust fall first. Which is also fine and good until you are there looking at a slightly disorganized group of smaller-than-you-remember middle schoolers who for the last three years have been taught, don't get close to each other. (laughs) And then you turn around and you just fall backward into them and you hope that they know what they're supposed to do and that they'll do it. They did, by the way. I got in trouble a couple weeks, well, not in good trouble. People mentioned to me that a few weeks ago, I never did finish the, the story about the latte and I, I don't want to leave you hanging here. They did not let me fall to the ground. They did catch me. But because I had been reading this gospel story that we just heard all week, the phrase that ran through my head as I went from straight up and back just a little bit was one that shows up in the gospel. I fell backward and I thought to myself, save yourself. It is, after all, repeated three times in the story. The religious leaders scoff at Jesus And they say, if you're God's chosen one, save yourself. And then the civil authorities, the soldiers in this case, mock Jesus with the same words. If you're a king, save yourself. And then even one of the men being executed next to Jesus says it too. If you are who people say you are, then save yourself and us. If you have the power and the ability to get yourself out of a horrible situation, maybe even take a few people with you, then do it. If you can avoid falling into a group of middle schoolers on purpose, then do it. For heaven's sake, why wouldn't you save yourself? It might seem a little strange at this point of the year to be reading a story about the way Jesus dies. We are, after all, in the season of Advent, We're just over a month from celebrating Jesus' birth. If it seems a little backward to start all of this at the end, you're right. It is. I mean, here we are reading the story of Jesus dying before we get to the story of how he came to be in the first place. Stories of ending before we get to the stories of beginning. 
Although it's hardly the first time Jesus does stuff we don't expect or does things out of order. This story today isn't even the first time Jesus is tempted to use his identity, his divinity, his power, his relationship with God for his own good and to preserve his own safety or increase his own standing. You might remember that way back in the beginning of this gospel stories, when Jesus began his preaching and teaching, when he became an adult, the devil tempts him to do the very same thing three times. Use your power to make bread for yourself out of stones, says the devil. Even if others are hungry, feed yourself. Throw yourself down from the temple so that angels can catch you and people will be impressed and interested in what you're doing. Right? Promote yourself. Rule over the cities of the world, even if others will be harmed in the process. Take power for yourself. If you're God, if you have the power, if you can, I mean, come on, for heaven's sake, save yourself. This may be an ancient story, but it is not an ancient temptation to save yourself, to take whatever power and influence you have and use it for your own good, take whatever opportunities and open doors are in front of you for your own advantage. Independence is a central value and virtue in our culture, and it does a lot of good things. The ability to do stuff for ourselves is something we prize highly, maybe too highly sometimes. It's everywhere, isn't it? Finance yourself, educate yourself, get a job and keep it yourself, parent someone yourself, fix problems yourself, succeed by yourself, stay healthy by yourself. It all comes down to the same thing Jesus was told to do even as he breathed his last. If you can, if you have the ability, I mean, come on, there's only one breath left in your body, save yourself. The problem, of course, is that we can't. We all hit the limits of that temptation at some point. You do everything you can to stay healthy, but then one day the doctor calls you in for an appointment and starts off by saying, it's probably better if you're sitting down. And you know you're not going to be able to heal yourself. Or one day your spouse walks in the door and you get into an argument, but it's the same argument you've had a hundred times, so you don't think much about it until the other person says, I can't do this anymore. I quit. And then you know you aren't going to be able to fix this yourself. Or your child comes home from school day after day, tired, silent, absent, door shut, refusing to talk, uninterested in anything, like they became someone else overnight. And you know enough about depression to recognize, recognize it when you see it, but you don't know how to get them the help they need. And you realize you can't solve this yourself. You drive past people living next to the freeway in tents. You don't know how to help, what you should and shouldn't do. You know the problem is complex, but it's also immediate. It's right there. And you know, you're not going to be able to fix this yourself. 
Interestingly, most of the stories we read in the season of Advent are not about the beginning of things. They are about the end of things. Of Jesus' life, as we read today, or as we will hear next week about the end of the world, at least the end of the world as we have constructed it. And that's on purpose. Advent does this on purpose. It points us to the end of things before we get to the beginnings. It asks us to think about what things need to come to an end so that there's room for something new to be born. Don't we need to put to an end the idea that power and resources and influence is primarily meant for our own good, to serve a few people at the top, that if you have the power to save yourself, you should do it, even if you leave everyone else behind? Don't we need to put to an end so many forms of power that dominate and control, that lie and deceive, that use violence and hatred and fear, that promise your main goal is to be happy yourself? Don't we need to put an end to the relentless race to fit into an image or an identity of version of perfection? The lie that we can save ourselves if we just buy the right things, know the right people, say the right things, live in the right place, marry the right person, raise the right children. Save ourselves? We can't even figure out how to sell Taylor Swift tickets properly. Three times... Jesus is given the opportunity to use what he has for himself, for his own benefit. If he's God, if he has the power, if he's a savior, then surely he should demonstrate it by showing us what is possible when we trust him, when we fall into him, when we live as Jesus shows us how to live. Surely he's here to show us how to save ourselves. But instead, he takes that temptation straight into the grave with him and buries it there. Rather than leap off the cross, he reaches toward the men who are suffering on it with him. Rather than grab a sword out of the soldier's hands, he stays to the bitter end. Rather than choose himself, he chooses others. He chooses us. And as he does that, something new is born. Jesus falls into an entirely different way of life and power, a way of generosity and humility, of forgiveness and almost impossible reconciliation, of great big tables full of all the wrong people feasting on bread and wine, of an entirely different way to live into the future. And he takes us with him for which we can say, thanks be to God. Amen.